Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Star Family Wisdom podcast. I'm Jenna Layden, founder of Star Family Wisdom and a former global vice president for Whole Foods Market. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for joining us. And I'm Sinead Wheelahan. I'm a former special needs educator and co-host of the Star Family Wisdom podcast. Star Family Wisdom Entirely is a paradigm-shifting podcast, a community, and an online school for your spiritual and cosmic evolution. And if you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like and subscribe, share with your friends, and you can find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Please leave us a comment, question, review. We really love to know what resonates with you, and we'd like to know what you want to hear more of. So we really want to connect with you. Please do that. And although Sinead and I only met last year, the journey and experiences that have led us here were so similar. Five years ago, we each had experiences, ET experiences that changed our lives forever. And after years of exploration and research and healing, we know now that our reality is so much more ex expansive and beautiful than we used to believe. And we became friends really fast, started having long conversations about all of these experiences and unpacking them together. And we realized we wanted to share these conversations with you. Yes, because we know that we're at an important time in human history and evolution, and we know that we're not alone on this planet. So we wanted to share that information with you through in conversations, ideas, and lots of inspirational information coming from us, coming from wonderful guests that we're going to have on here to support you in this wild journey of being human. We're going to explore ancient clues about our untold human history, real life supernatural experiences, lost knowledge from the stars, and spiritual wisdom that empowers you to transform your life for the better. And being experiencers of supernatural phenomena and ET contact, it's important to us that we have open, fun, and mature conversations about what is possible, what is happening, and how we are evolving as humans. Mm -hmm. So part of our evolution is that we love all things woo, magic, mindset, science, spirituality, health, and wellness, and definitely extraterrestrial. And through these, these conversations, we want to explore how all of these topics, seemingly separate, actually connect to form the reality of our human experience. And things will get a little far out here at Star Family Wisdom, but we'll ground you in the science, research, and information that we use to expand our minds and open to the incredible nature of our reality. Yes, yeah, so together we want to discover and remember our place among the stars with you, help you to inspire the same. And meanwhile, we have a guest today who really did inspire us. We had the wonderful Linda Bachman on with us today. Jenna knows more yeah. of her work than I yeah. do. So mm -hmm. I found... So I found Linda years ago when I was early on my journey and working to understand the concept of past lives and the journey of a soul and to understand the potential of ET human contact and ET past lives. So Dr. Linda Backman has wrote multiple books. She's the author of Bringing Your Soul to Light, Healing Through Past Lives and The Time Between. She is the author of Souls on Earth, which I highly recommend because in that book, she gets into her decades of research on the subject of past lives and what she has found, which is uh, beyond what, you know, some of our historical past life regression told us. So she's found that our souls have had lives on many different planets and that, you know, our evolution and our, our journey is not just earth-based in some cases. So 
Dr. Linda Backman has also uh, taught and studied with Dr. Michael Newton. Some of you may know him and his work. Uh, he was the author of the seminal books on life between life regression therapy. So he did a lot of work on that in-between state, what we can access in between lives. And, and Linda also has researched uh, significantly on that. And in this episode, we ask her tons of questions, you know, about the journey of the soul, about past lives. And, and you know, I think for Sinead and I, it was such a beautiful conversation to, to really help us reflect, you know, on our soul's journey and, and to hear reflected back from someone like Linda with such deep expertise on this subject that what we have experienced is very much the norm, you know, and, and, and we're just, you know, we're just uncovering and remembering these things, but, uh, but, you know, she's been studying for decades and, you know, has regressed tons of people and has found lots of themes in her work. She really has. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely was inspired by what she had to say. There are, um, she's so careful in how she articulates her experience and her approach. She really wants it to come across clearly for the audience. You know, it's really apparent that um, it's not just her. It's not for her. It seems like it's not just about her coming on a podcast and just talking about herself and her experience. It's really, you know, important to her that what she's saying actually lands and translates for the audience because that landing of the knowledge and understanding is really what she feels she's here for. She feels that she's here as a kind of gardener, or I mean, I use that metaphor at the end of the interview, but she didn't disagree that, you know, she's someone who's here to plant seeds on our reality to help us evolve and expand. And by doing the work that she's doing, and by the way that's changed her personally, that's how she feels like she's making a contribution. It's both in her personal life and in her professional life. Um, not that she feels like she's, you know, above anyone or more wise than anyone or more. I mean, there's no measuring with her, which I also really appreciate it. She fully understands that everyone is on their individual path. And she was giving us that example of her very close friend who is a truly devout Christian, doesn't necessarily believe in past lives or reincarnation, but they have this wonderful friendship that is based on commonality of spirit and, you know, open-heartedness and compassion rather than focusing on what other differences are, you know, religion and spirituality. So she she's very non-judgmental, very open, very understanding of the fact that everyone is on their individual path and we're progressing on our on our individual souls journeys the best way that we know how to. There really is no such thing as a mistake. That's also kind of she doesn't say that succinctly, but she alludes to it. Yeah, yeah, we talked about the karmic process and how you know, we, we go, we may go through multiple lives of, you know, resolving karmic issues. And, and, and while, yeah, we can't make a mistake really in how we're living life and, and doing this whole, you know, existence thing, yeah. but there is an accountability system and there is this, um, you know, kind of contractual system, you know, that is in place. You know, we come into a life with soul contracts with plans for things we're meant to fulfill, things we're meant to learn, things we're meant to do, maybe karma from past lives that needs to be, you know, rectified or resolved in this life. And it's on us to, to fulfill those contracts. We don't have to in this life, but, you know, we may just continue on, you know, and in, in future lifetimes working on what, whatever the issue, you know, at hand is. But I love how she talks about past life regression, you know, as a way of identifying the karma, you know, that we're yeah. carrying and identifying those 
old wounds, I like to say, you know, that yeah. maybe we're carrying over from lifetime to lifetime that we have the opportunity to resolve, that we have the opportunity to look at and, and understand how that connects to current life events. Yes. Yeah. I really appreciated that a lot. You know how she talks about this being, a con again, it's not a race. It's nothing to be measured. You know, everyone is progressing on their path exactly as they're meant to. And there are limitless do-overs. There are limitless opportunities to learn and grow. And it's not about failing. It's just about, you know, every time you live a life where uh, you may not have achieved the goal that you agreed to in the life between lives before you came into this body in this lifetime. But even if you don't achieve that goal, you've still made progress towards it because in some way your soul is, your soul is still working slowly, progressively, but doggedly towards the need to fulfill that goal, right? The need to, to get back so-called to its true form, to its truest self, their truest expression of itself, right? Yeah. Um, in the now. And she really... She really gives a wonderful um, impression of the fact, the very real fact that we are not boxed into one life. We only just, we don't actually have this one life as the one and only opportunity to learn and grow or get over things. We have limitless amounts of time and that um, it is important for us to kind of work towards the awareness that we are not just within one lifetime, that we are eternal beings, that time essentially does not have any meaning, and that it's really just about taking the steps forward towards further evolution of our soul. Mm -hmm. That really is the only thing that matters, and how heart consciousness and, you know, awareness, mindfulness, kindness are all part of that, but that we meet those goals for ourselves in so many different ways that it can't really be explained in terms of categories or something like that. Right, right. That's a visual process. Right. Yeah, she talks about like soul levels in the sense, you know, as part of that kind of, you know, evolutionary process and how, you know, there she's found in her practice, it, you know, as it evolved, it evolved to a place where like 50% of her clients were interplanetary souls, right? These, these were starting to share details about lives that were happening other places. And, and she started to recognize, you know, that, yeah, there's, there's, is this like evolutionary advancement process that happens and there are advanced civilizations and, and there, you know, are souls that are choosing to come to earth at this time that have experienced mm -hmm. those, you know, realities. And I think that's such an interesting thing we know, right? Like we're, we're, we're deep in that, but you know, <laughs> it's such an interesting thing to contemplate and for, you know, people who are maybe a little skeptical of the ET stuff or ET contact and, um, and all of that, you know, I think she brings such a grounded approach to understanding it and to, and to her research. And again, from the standpoint that she was not always a deeply spiritual person, right? She was not always a person believing this. She was a person who found it you know, on her journey as certain life events happened and as she started to do regression. Yeah, I mean, she talks about how I love that moment, actually. We didn't really get into it that much, but I was sort of keeping it in my mind as we were talking with her about other things. She talks about how her husband, uh, many, many years, Earl, uh, they have a very close bond. She brings him up several times during the interview, and she talks about how he's a true partner to her on her spiritual path, how he's highly intuitive. And when she brought up to him for the very first time, 
in her 40s and he was in his 40s you know she's just at the very beginning of this journey of going hmm maybe there's more to life than I thought mm -hmm. and she expresses it to him because she by that point had experienced enough validation that she was starting to feel like okay this really is real this is not just you know some random imaginative idea that's coming up in sessions so she says it to her husband and her husband then tells her and they'd already been married for 25 years at this point and then he tells her that he has these memories of having past lives when he was a child right being able to remember his past lives in detail and you know he had he just forgot about it but at that moment that he was a child at that time it was very vivid he remembers a lot of details and so she learned something kind of earth-shaking about her own husband of 25 years. And how many people out there might have had that experience, right? Like having these visions or memories as a child, and then you just move on, you live life, you forget, or a mystical experience happens, you know, someone passes, and then maybe, you know, you're getting the sense that they're back, right? And that you're mm -hmm. communicating with them, but then you just kind of brush it off and you move on, right? Like that's happening all over the planet right now it is. Yeah. it is it is i mean she talks about that too we kind of bring it up to her that you know, this is a very particular time in human evolution and so much knowledge and wisdom that has been around for a very long time but has been suppressed ignored dismissed just like we dismiss it in ourselves it's also been dismissed on a larger level and uh but it's been around all this time and so now it's coming to the fore, you know, that this is the forefront of progressive science and progressive wellness and progressive humanity is to understand yes. that we are eternal conscious beings that are playing a role in this lifetime to progress a goal, you know, progress on goals that are towards a certain purpose and that everything that happens to us happens for a reason. And I really love that. She addresses that the duality that you and I so often talk about, right? That both of them have a purpose and a place in this life and that it's really important that we face our fears, that we look at our ego that we overturn the uncomfortable stones, you know, of things that we don't want to recognize or look at, that is really the best way to make spiritual progress in this life. And I love that she includes that as part of her own learning and part of what her clients need to do as well. I agree. And I, you know, I think some of that for me was maybe the hardest thing to kind of get my mind around early on this journey, you know, this idea that, you know, all the bad stuff seemingly bad stuff has a purpose right and that's that's hard to like kind of like sit with and, and figure out and allow you know your mind to hold and yeah. and you know I think she it, later in the interview watch till the end you know because later in the interview she talks about what happens with souls you know people in the human form today who have done atrocious things right what about them you know like what what happens with that soul and i think that's something that a lot of people who are in that you know skeptical place or or questioning place or curious but you know still trying to grapple with well why why is you know it okay for you know really bad stuff to happen or or why is it okay for a soul who did really terrible things to just continue on their journey does that happen and she has a good answer for that you know i liked how she approached that and i liked how she was able to bring bring that into the conversation from you know her, the standpoint of her research you know and what she's learned from decades right of these case studies you start to see patterns you start to see themes in mm. research and 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 you know even for a person like me who was skeptical and highly you know scientific minded 
you start to see that there can be a scientific approach to this research, to understanding the themes and, um, you know, the, the information that is common across all of these cases. Yeah, that's something she addresses too. I mean, I, first of all, I want to touch on what you said about um, it being really difficult for people to take in that there's a reason for really awful people or really awful things to occur in the world or to occur to you. You know, that's really not easy to digest. And she explains, <clears throat> she explains how that works as well. And I loved her explanation on that as well as, you know, what happens to those souls who really do really terrible things. Yeah. But then she talks as well about how, um, you know, what you were referencing, she's got all these decades of amazing research and real validation, real evidence that supports what she's yes. doing, supports what people experience. But she doesn't dismiss, because of the work she's in and the path that she's on, she doesn't dismiss the um, significance of the wisdom of intuition in coherence with, in conjunction with um, the left brain, right? That's so she talks balance. about the left brain. Yeah, the balance of the two. You've got to have discernment, something you and I talk a lot about, right? You need to have, you need to be listening to the wisdom of your intuition, the wisdom of the universe, the wisdom yes. of our guides, which is just as real. We haven't landed on this yet firmly in our culture or society anywhere in the world, as far as I know. But, you know, that is just as real as all the solid, logical, well-researched academic work and that they actually complement each other. They don't uh, push off against each other like two magnets that don't want to connect, right? And that's how we're used to thinking of them. We're thinking of them as two totally separate things. But she really expresses beautifully that they come together to inform her work yeah. and her understanding. And she so talks about that. the left brain skepticism, right? She talks about her own skepticism in her moments of experiencing guides communicating to her right and like how do you even know that's real how do you know that this is happening right and it was it was almost like she was reflecting my back to me my journey you know yeah. she, she was helping me remember those moments where I was able to arrive at a conclusion like this is this is real because there are these other factors at play that that point to me not being able to make this up, you know, and, and I, I loved how she brought that into the conversation, because I think that's an important part of this conversation, you know, that we talk about, well, how do we know, and, and, and how does that intuitive knowing, you know, come through us as well, and how do we allow, you know, both to exist at the same time, and I read how she also, you know, at one point talked about some of the themes she's found around, old wounds or karma in, you know, her work, because it, again, was reflecting back to me, the, the karma I've identified in my life and, and the things that I've been working, you know, to resolve and, and move beyond, you know, and, and, and I love how she talks about that, that, you know, when we identify karma, it's this opportunity, it's like an invitation mm. to, for lack of a better term, level up, right, to move beyond that, right, to find the lesson in it, right, and, yeah. and to then evolve beyond that current state or that, that pattern that might have been existing from life. Yeah, life. yeah, and, and again, she's so non-judgmental, you know, she talks about when people reach that point of remembering a traumatic event or a wound experienced in a past life, that it's very important to let that person be in that moment and experience that emotion fully because maybe at the time in whatever lifetime they were in they weren't able to experience it they weren't able to express it they weren't able to understand it and so it's very important to uh, allow her clients to have that emotion and then help them integrate the learning that they experience from that experience afterwards so i love that too that she integrates this kind of um 
acceptance of wherever we're at in whatever way these wounds manifest in whatever ways they show up we need to just let them be what they are let them express themselves and then that is part of the releasing of them part of the letting go and she said something about um cleansing or, or something like that like it just cleans out your energy field a little bit more when you allow for that emotional re release and it reminds me that something you and i've talked about a lot about too that emotion is really what holds the wounds in you know it's emotion and our emotional attachment to the wounds or our stagnated understanding of how to resolve them that keeps them there but past life regression is one of the ways that we can heal and one of the ways we can learn and we can move forward in our whole humanity which i love yeah yeah, yeah. it really really felt like we were guided to linda you know early <laughs> in, in my journey as i was you know starting to have some experiences and, and questioning things and thinking, am I crazy? Which Linda went through too, which was great to hear about. <laughs> it, was, it was like all of a sudden, as I started asking those questions, mm -hmm. Tara about this, as I started asking those questions, boom, this book showed up, this book showed up, these things would just start to cross my path. And Linda's book was one of those. And then fast forward a few years and here we are interviewing her. So it, that is such a fun kind of part of this journey too, to see how, you know, all of our asking questions and receiving answers start to come together and connect, you know, on our path and help us yeah. where we're meant to be. Yeah, it helps us to really map out the true nature of what we're doing rather than just confining it within one lifetime. And actually, you had an experience once where you had books jump off the shelf at you. So I'm just wondering oh if books was one of those. No, I don't remember. I don't think so. Because I distinctly remember that incident where the, there was two books that flew off the shelf. I had a friend see it when it happened. And she was like, what was that? And, um, <laughs> and they were just like the perfect subject matter for, again, what I was asking questions about at the time. So it was literally like a guide or some being maybe pushed them off the shelf for me. But no, Linda's was not one of those. I think I think hers came across my path. If a lot of these really did feel like it was guided where I didn't have to look, like I didn't have to research. It was just like, I found one book, was reading it, and then all of a sudden something would cross my feed or I would just kind of hear in a conversation about another person. It was just almost like as I started unlocking, you know, pieces of information, the next piece would just show up. Yeah. I have no other explanation for how quickly so many books ended up in my library and how quickly I moved through so much research on all of these topics while I was working the full-time job I had. It would have taken me an immense amount of time and research to just go out and find all of this. It really, really did feel guided. Like I just don't have any other explanation. For it. I relate to that as well. I mean, you know that when I first had my awakening and and it was like being slingshot into the community, right? Like I, I, one yeah. of my friends, Costa Macreas, who we're going to eventually interview, to, interview as well. He's a leader in CE5 all over the world. Um, but he said to me, wow, Sinead, it's like you're in the path of, of a fire hose. You know, it's just <laughs> doors rapidly opening in front of me. That's I was what it felt like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just all the right people just showing up in my life for yeah. exactly what I needed or the right events. So 
at the right timing or opportunities. It was just really phenomenal. So yeah. it's so true what Linda says that if you are receptive and you're willing, she says willing to be on the path and willing to make choices to grow, then the universe supports you in doing that and meets you in doing that and gives you what you need. And so, you know, she uses the word woo and says she's not much of a fan of it, but you and I have done uh, an episode on woo where we talked about it as essentially being the new normal, right? right. And that we're happy to be existing in the new normal and Linda's right there along with us. So she's incorporating things that I think, I think we can safely say were previously considered to be woo yeah. are still considered to be so by some, but you know, there's a growing understanding that her work is real. The results are real. This is validated stuff. There's evidence for this. There are really learned people all over the, all, just the US or just Canada, like just North America alone, who have written books, who have done talks, who have done research on all this. And they're really well-educated, intelligent, thoughtful people. So she gives, she's one of those people. She gives such credence to her field. And I think it's, um, I'm just so fortunate. You know, I feel really lucky to have had her with us today. Me too. I'm so grateful. And I'm so grateful for, you know, her generation paving the way, you know, for yes. us to be able to have these conversations now, these sorts of different conversations where, you know, it's no longer about, is this real or not? It's like the evidence is stacking up and we need to talk about it. <laughs> Gosh, is it ever? Yeah. Is it ever? And actually, yeah. I'm feeling a little anticipation as you say that. Maybe yeah. We should, we should dive into the interview with Linda. What do you say? Let's do it. Thanks, all everyone, right. for being with us today. Check out the show notes. We've got all of her info in there. Uh, definite, definitely get her book, Souls on Earth. If you are curious about interplanetary souls, star seeds, the idea of living lives on other planets, she gets into it in that book. She does indeed. She does indeed. And don't forget, as usual, to like and subscribe and share with your friends. Leave us reviews and comments. We always love to hear from you. We really want to know what you'd like to hear or see more of. So please, please, by all means, do that. And uh, we will see you very soon on the other side. Yeah, we'll see you on the other side. Welcome, Linda, to the show. We're so excited to have you here today. Today, we have Linda Backman on the show, as we described in the intro. How are you today, Linda? I am very well. Thank you for inviting me. It's fun to be with you two. We're yeah. very glad to have you. We've been looking forward to this conversation for quite a while, and we were just chatting a little bit before we start re started recording about um, how you are a strong, really progressive female leader and female presence in the field. And we want to highlight uh, the female voice and the female presence these days in our in our growth and our period of growth right now. So we're really happy to have you with us for that reason also. Yes. Thank you. My pleasure. And it's always fun to cross the generations as well as women. I think that's a beautiful thing as well. Agreed. Agreed. It's, it feels like we're creating just such a fun community and network here as we do this and bringing yeah so many women together. On, on these topics, on so many expansive topics. And mm -hmm. um, today we're gonna get into some very expansive topics. You know, we haven't had too many discussions yet about past life regression. We're just now starting to get into that. I've shared a little bit about my regression, personal story, you know, on the show in previous episodes. So we're really looking forward to, you know, hearing about your expertise, Linda, and your decades of work and research in this field. And 
and you know what you learned as you were on this journey because it's been a lot you've written multiple books which we have links to in the show notes and which I've thoroughly enjoyed and have been very important for me on my journey and you know validating some of my personal experiences so you know maybe before we get into you know some of the more expansive you know parts of your work and journey we can just start with your origin story you know how you got into the work you're doing and 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 what were some of the you know very early moments that triggered you know your passion or inspiration around mm. this work okay you know it, it it it's funny obviously i i get asked that question jenna a lot and i i always wish there was time one of my fascinations is as I work with people or as I even get to know someone that's a friend or a family member, it's like, you know, what's that circuitous journey that we follow in our current life as um, who we are and especially from a spiritual perspective begins to surface. So um, I'll, I'll try to make this not horribly crazy long. Um, let me just say that that when I was about 25, and, and I'm, I'm sharing this early piece, simply because it was, it was a, a pointer in the direction of where I was headed, but it took 20 more years for me to get there. But so let, let me just say that when I was 25 years old and married and a mom of a two-year-old, I was pregnant uh, with our second child, and that was a very challenging pregnancy. It was you know, Mrs. Backman, I was not a psychologist back then, so you couldn't have even called me Dr. Backman back then, was, you know, Mrs. Backman, well, you might miscarry this afternoon. Oh, no, it, it looks fine. You know, three, four, five days later, you know, same story. Um, I delivered that baby at 26 weeks of an average 40-week pregnancy. He lived a few hours and passed. I didn't understand grief and loss. I certainly didn't understand soul, for sure. Um, and long story short, I ended up in a classic grief process about four to six weeks later, and it took many, many months to find friends that, that could support me in understanding what I was going through, and then to find a, a therapist who um, wasn't so totally conventional um, and, and so that that was the little the little plant that popped its head above ground. Um, tantalizing me about soul, death, dying, coming into the body, out of the body, but it didn't go anywhere spiritual. It just led me to understand what happens when we grieve, and in particular, what happens when we grieve uh, the passing of a child. So fast forward um, 20 years later, I'm a psychologist in private practice. I'm in a group practice of psychologists and psychiatrists, actually not very far, Jenna, from where you live at the time, where you live now, where I lived um, at the time. And um, my original colleague, um, a man whose nickname was Bud, um, a man, oh, almost 15 years younger than I, sadly, and, and you know, sort of horrifically for his family and friends, um, he passed from a type of lung cancer in 1993. And when he passed, and now I know my guides, my own higher self said, okay, Linda, we're going to fling, and I almost can't talk without my hands for those that can see me on the screen. So this door flung open, and 
I had to decide whether to walk through it or not. The door that opened was sort of, you might say, two part. One part was I could feel Bud's energy on the other side. I could sense he was there. I could sense he was talking to me. I had no doubt it was him. I had minimally read one book about past lives, maybe nine months before that. Didn't know if I even believed in reincarnation. And as, as Bud was present, obviously from the soul level, talking to me across the veil. And, you know, because this started happening not long after he passed, within a day or two, we might say he was barely across the veil. And what I mean by that is that his soul energy that had left his body, I now comprehend, was, you know, if, if we think about 3D, third dimension, his soul was, you know, only in fourth dimension, meaning only in that astral plane of energy that sits in between earth and the higher realms. So he, he was talking to me and he began to show me scenes of past lives we had shared. So I thought, well, either I need a therapist and maybe I need medication or whatever, you know, you know, tongue in cheek. We all ask ourselves that. Yeah, we all have that moment on this journey. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Um, Or there's something to this. So then I said to my husband, who at the time, who's still my lovely husband, which is wonderful, but um, we've been married about 25 years. My husband um, spent 30 years as an academic, as a professor and administrator. We're very liberal people. We had never spoken one word about soul reincarnation. You know, don't ask me why, but it had never come up. So I said to Earl, who knew my colleague, they'd been lunch and golf friends. Um, I said to my husband, here's what I'm experiencing. And I honestly thought that my husband would look back at me and it's like, almost like shake his head and go, I don't understand. And I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, But that's not what he said. And so he looked back at me calmly and I could tell from the look on his face that he, he wasn't weirded out at all. And um, I said, so you don't think this is crazy. Is that right? And he said, no, I don't. And I said, oh my gosh, I'm really surprised. I said, why don't you think this is just, you know, the looniest woo-woo, woo-woo-est, if there is such a word, um, kind of thing. And here's what he said. So he paused and he looked at me and he said, well, I guess I repressed. And he's not a psychologist. So he said, I guess I must have repressed something that happened to me as a child. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, only now do I remember that when I was a child, maybe age 10, he, uh, he said, I remembered my past lives in detail in my own private time and space. Um, my past life memories surfaced for me in my intuitive um, uh, field to, to do that. And Earl said, I knew it was real, but he said, Earl is my husband, obviously. Um, and he said, but I never told anybody because I thought they would think I was crazy. So the bottom line to that is I felt like I had support and permission to kind of go in a direction I never dreamed I would go. And I began to study the soul regression, past lives, how do we plan our lives, et cetera, et cetera. And with this, the bud that you're mentioning, it wasn't Bud Hopkins by any chance, was it? 
No. Rationist? Okay. No. It seemed like it was too early in your own journey at that point to have met him, but he was one who also passed very quickly. He was a past life regressionist too. Um, But I'm just, there's so many things about what you just said that are jumping out to me. One is um, this feeling of that Earl described of just knowing, right? That's something that has come up for so many of us in this field and this field of exploration and, you know, this journey that we're on to explore. Why are we here? What is this really about? Who are we? What is the purpose Mm -hmm. of all of this? We're asking these questions. And then when information comes to us, we just know if that's how people always phrase it, right? This feeling that every cell in your body just resonates with this knowledge of understanding. It is a very holistic experience of knowing that is quite different than just knowing in your head. So I'm wondering if you can describe for yourself any experiences that you've had like that and how that might have, you know, had a ripple effect for you afterwards. That's kind of ineffable, right? It's not something we can really explain. It's not provable. It's not something we can see or touch, but it's so real. And, you know, it leads us to these paths. You're off, you're fully on this path now of this, of researching something that is apparently, uh, you know, woo, as you were putting it earlier, but is, is so much at the forefront of our current science and where we're going, you know? So it's just fascinating how people come onto this journey and that feeling of knowing is often part of it. Yes, and I'm sure you both know, I mean, we often come onto this journey, well, let me back up a step. I find that when I'm working with clients, they almost come in, you know, a couple of flavors. It's almost like strawberry and vanilla. It, you know, the the strawberry flavor is the client who um, comes for a regression and says uh, to me something like, Oh, Linda, when I was five years old, I was talking to my guides. That's the strawberry, you know, I'm thinking about an ice cream cone with it. You know, I'm thinking, yeah, thinking about boule, the word for, you know, ball of ice cream in French um, with with ice cream. And then the the vanilla is me um, or perhaps the two of you, I don't know, um, is I, I was 46 years old when I fell into this kind of work. And yet now I've been guiding regression. Now you all, it doesn't matter, have a sense of where I am in the longevity of this current lifetime, but I've been guiding regression for maybe 28 years. Um, but what I love kind of to pertain to the comment you just made is how can we, this I think is part of the purpose uh, many purposes for why I do this kind of work but part of the purpose is let's demonstrate to people how this is right-brained and left-brained yes, and just without jabbering too long about that by that I mean the right-brain piece is that knowing that you know you use that beautiful word ineffable that knowing that a non-believer, if they don't choose to accept this, which that's people's choice, um, is going to go, well, Linda, how did you know it was Bud? And blah, blah, blah. Um, and and But over here is um, my years of regression work where um, regression work I see is a little bit of a scientific uh, research project. That's not the reason I do regression. But if, if 20 clients separate from one another, have told me something about um, a certain kind of soul. And I know we'll get there in talking about souls that um, by and large don't have all their lives, uh, often don't have the bulk of their lives in body on earth. But so regressions, so right-brained and so left-brained because it's, it's, it's scientific research case by case. 
Yes. I love that. I love that you bring that up because as I started studying past life regression and reading tons of books, you know, yours have been a part of that. It became very clear for me that we've got substantial evidence, you know, substantial evidence as to, you know, the journey of the soul and what happens after death, bodily death, and, and what we can know about, you know, our, our many lifetimes and aspects, you know, of our soul. And so I'm, I'm curious, you know, from your years of expertise, you know, what are some of the, I guess, themes that started to emerge for you as you progressed, you know, in your individual, you know, sessions with people and started to, you know, compile, you know, hundreds of, of cases, you know, what were some of those themes that started to pop out? Mm -hmm. Well, there's obviously a lot of themes, but one theme that I, I always find, I don't know what the right word is, but just fascinating that it keeps coming up and it, and it pertains in a way um, to the comments you were making about, um, about women and supporting women and, and that sort of thing. But I, I can't possibly count the number of female clients. It's usually a, a woman that has the experience I'm about to describe, woman in body, you know, a, a soul in body that happens to be female in life today. A female client comes and she accesses a past life and in that past life, she has some kind of what I might call a loss issue. Um, she falls in love and, you know, this could go back hundreds, if not even thousands of years, but she falls in love and um, uh, her beloved, you know, goes off to war and, and dies. Or um, another common theme just really related to that is... Um, she falls in love with someone we might say in you know the old-fashioned way not of her station mm -hmm. and her father it's usually the father says i forbid you to be with this guy and um you cannot go out you know we're gonna almost lock you in the house and you know olden days when that probably happened well so what i find is that it's the storyline of my currently female client who goes to a female past life, she has a significant loss. It could even be the death, sadly, the death of a child. But instead of finding a way to rise above that, instead of finding a way to grapple with that pain and trauma, she caves in emotionally and you know, falls into depression and accomplishes little in her life from that point forward um, because of the depression. And, you know, so, so the message is that's a common theme of we let that happen yeah. to, to us and that our guides would prefer we not, you know, cave in and yeah. give up. And occasionally it's, it's even a client in past lives who takes their life um, to end the past life. Mm -hmm. So you're talking kind of about soul paths and also soul bonds and how those things can be interrupted by our own mindset and attitudes, regardless of what time we're living in. If we choose to go with the negative or go with defeat and uh, minimize ourselves and we can't be truly on our path, we can't truly connect with our soul, um, I guess, equal in that life and when it comes to a love bond. Yeah, I mean, it, Jenna talks a lot about wounds and how wounds are part of 
um, you know, our makeup in this reality. And that part of reaching our true potential is to go back and heal those wounds, whether they're psychological, emotional, in the energy body, you know, they can be placed in all different areas of our being, but that these wounds can just go on and on and on forever. And a big, you know, unless we resolve them, unless we, we essentially gain the power to face our fears, right. And to face our grief, to face the things that feel ugly or uncomfortable or horrible or overwhelming. We tend to want to run away from them. But what I'm hearing you, what I hear you saying is that a big part of the regression work that you do that helps clients progress is helping them face those things right? Helping them face their fears and their grief. So can you talk a bit more about how that works? Yes. And I, you know, the way you just described it is beautiful because what you're describing, what you just described is soul evolution. Yes. So um, to go back just very briefly to the birth and death of, of my second or our second child, second son, um, many years later, when I you know, fell into regression work and started not only working with clients, but working on my own issues and understanding um, many, many of my own past lives, I came to understand, for the most part, the meaning of that event um, when I was 25. And it, it was balancing, and this is the way I, I like to, to verbalize it, it was balancing karma from more than one past life, where I was um, a, a parent, I was a mother, I was female, I was a mother, and I didn't let, um, I, I didn't uh, make my uh, child and or children my priority. Mm, wow. And, and, you know, that may sound like to some people like, oh, so that's what our guides do. They um, script an upcoming life. If, if we weren't committed to something that that I that preferably we would have been committed to in past lives, that something as challenging as the death of a child will happen. But the truth is, yes, it does, you know, not for everyone, obviously, mm. but it does work that way. So, you know, what was I going to do with um, having this child die, falling into depression? Um, and fortunately finding a therapist. Now I was not in the field of psychology back then. I, I had not stepped into this, this world of, of psychology and psychotherapy um, as a practitioner. In fact, it's one of the reasons I, I became a practitioner is I found such value in me being guided um, by a therapist that I ultimately, that's what led me to become a psychologist. Mm. So, so when well, you have sessions, oh, sorry, Jenna, I yeah. just want to kind of harp a little bit more on my question, because when you're having sessions with clients and they're facing these difficult things, how does that work? Because in so-called real life, it's very hard for us. We don't want to deal with those things. We don't even want to deal with aging, right? We just pretend that these things don't exist. So when you're in these sessions, the whole point is resolving these wounds. How does that work? And, and, and are you basically asking, so how do you, how does anyone begin to resolve these wounds? Yes, like in, in the past life regression um, methodology, how mm. do you help a patient with that, a client with that? Okay, great question. Um, so I'll say a couple quick things and, and just as a, as an entree into that 
at whole topics. So um, I, I train people in regression work, both past lives and between lives regression work. And people will often say to me, oh, Linda, well, I'm, I can't take your training because I'm not a credentialed psychotherapist. And I say to people, please don't think you have to be a credentialed uh, master's level or doctoral level psychotherapist to be an effective regression therapist. Um, you need to be spiritually oriented and committed to wanting to learn to do this kind of work, but you do not have to be formally trained in psychotherapy. At the same time, what I say to them that kind of pertains to your question is um, I, 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 it's essential for me to support people learning to guide regression by saying, when your client goes into the depth of the emotion, um, so let's just say the in the past life, um, and you know this could be a male client, to, you know, male today, um, and so let's just make it even more complicated. So it's a male client, and that male client in the past life is female, mm -hmm. and that male client um, births a child in the past life, and the child doesn't survive. And whether it's a male or female client in life today, the client in the midst of the regression begins to sob and sob and sob. Mm -hmm. um, and all clients don't sob and sob, no matter what they're learning, and some do. And so what I, one of the answers to your question is, let the client have the emotion. Let the client, you know, release what you, the fancy word in psychology is called abreaction, which just means cleanse the wound. Yeah. Releasing emotion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Be, be angry, be sad, be, and the reverse can be true too. Be joyful, um, whatever it is. But then I also say to the, uh, the person who's learning to guide regression, but don't let your client get stuck in it. So let them cry, but then help them move forward. Uh, you, you don't want them crying for 30 minutes and waylaying the entire regression. So part of the healing is cleansing the wound in that manner. Mm -hmm. And then for some clients, and it just varies client to client, then um, there may be um, work they do beyond the regression that could be journaling, that could be, I mean, they might occasionally be seeing, a, you know, a psychologist, a psychotherapist um, to do general work for themselves, which then they can add in the, the grief work. Um, but I don't find that all clients need uh, an ongoing separate therapist to work on it. But it's, I mean, you guys probably know this from your own lives. It's like, we don't heal what we don't face. Mm -hmm. And and so face it, own it, let it be real, and then begin to work with it to move it forward. Integrate. Yeah. Integrate. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I want to reflect back on what you were talking about related to the karmic process and that evolution from lifetime to lifetime, because, you know, what we're, you know, getting the sense of here is that there is this journey of learning and growth that's happening from lifetime to lifetime. And, and, and we end up in sometimes these 
karmic patterns, it seems like, or at least that's my understanding. And one reason we need to face some of these wounds that we're, we're carrying from lifetime to lifetime. And, you know, the two themes you were mentioning related to women specifically are the exact two big karmic themes that I've seen in my past lives that mm. I've been working to, to heal and evolve from. And so I think that, you know, is just something I want to reflect on for a moment and maybe have you speak to a bit more around that, you know, just multi-lifetime journey that we're on and, and how your clients have, have been able to connect the dots on these storylines, you know, that start to form when you access this information and, and how that can then also maybe inform a better future for ourselves and how we can use that information to then forge a different path in our life. Maybe can you give us some examples of how, you know, that's come up, you know, for different clients you've worked with? Yeah, there sounds like there's such a presence of choice. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I mean, yes. And, and in, our, in our conventional human world, um, you know, the old fashioned perspective certainly was the perspective of my parents' generation. Um, and my generation, I think, sort of sits on the cusp of um, shifting beyond this. But, you know, my parents' generation, the classic phrase that, that would be used is, you know, don't air your dirty laundry. Right. You know, quote, unquote. Yeah, just keep it and, in the past. <laughs> yeah, right. Just stuff it, you know, stuff it, hide it. Um, and not only don't reveal it to anybody else, but don't deal with it for yourself. And of course, that, as I think the three of us know, and probably most listeners know, um, relatively speaking, that gets us nowhere. Yeah. On the, on the other hand, you know, it goes back to that theme I talked about just a little bit ago. It's also, how can I say this? Um, I find, so, so for, for a number of years, before I fell into regression work, I, I was a conventional psychologist, um, you know, in private practice, doing what you think someone in general private practice would do. And so what I also find is, you know, there are two extremes. One extreme is don't air your dirty laundry and don't even recognize there's, you know, dirty laundry in the hamper, so to speak. Um, but the other extreme is, um, dig into the wound over and over and over and over so that it almost is like, um, I hate to put it this way, but almost like, almost like a medal of honor. Mm. Like, oh, I went through da 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 oh, it was so hard. So it, there, it, there has to be a middle ground yeah. between yeah. those two. Yeah, we're so heavily taught the victim mentality. I mean, I, I was I'm still like discovering how that was fed to me, you know, through various means. It's not very obvious sometimes. And that's kind of playing a trick on us, right? Making us think that we're confronting our feelings when really we're just sort of rolling around in them and, you know, relishing them. And then you're just in this mud pit of emotion. You're not actually getting it. You're not moving forward. So the whole point of past life regression is moving forward. As Jenna was talking about, you know, how this kind of work is one of, is such an important tool. Your work is so valuable, Linda. I mean, if, if we just look at, my mother is also a psychoanalyst. So I grew up in, the, in a world of psychoanalysts and therapists and talking yeah. about emotion yeah. therapy and all that stuff. I went to therapy myself for 20 years as part of my own path of trying to figure out what the heck am I doing here? And what is this about? You know, there's something more to, to my life. I don't know what it is, but we know that 
in the world of psychology, um, it's really fascinating how so many great thinkers, including in the field of psychology, knew these things, you know, that you know, that we know. And they knew them ages and ages ago, and they occasionally would talk about them, but they were still on their mainstream level of life, not able to practice that kind of approach because they wouldn't have had a career, they could have been arrested, maybe they're thrown in jail, they would have been socially ostracized. But this is not knowledge that really is new. It really has been around for a very, very, very long time, yet it's rising to the surface in a really wonderful way at this particular time in humanity. So do you have a sense of why that is? What do you think about um, the fact that past life regression is now rate rising to prominence? It's not just a fad, like maybe it was in the 70s. It's really being seen as something legitimate. And you were talking earlier about right, right brain, left brain, the wisdom of the intuition and the wisdom of the logical side and how those two come together in past life therapy. We're seeing that happen more and more across many disciplines, right? So we're at this forefront of knowledge that's really exciting. Past life regression is part of that. Why do you think that's happening at this time? There's, uh, you know, I'm pausing only because the answer is so global, it's almost hard to, to put words to it. Um, so I'll just say, just as a, again, as a preface, as humanity needs to and does evolve, the higher realm, the, the higher realm, the celestial realm, the soul realm, whatever word people want to put to that also evolves mm -hmm. so that you know in 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 and i'm not necessarily anti-religion but in in western religion um in some ways that western religion is taught you know there's a place of perfection mm -hmm. in the higher realm you know the soul is perfect or the divine is perfect but in 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 my 28 or so plus years of regression work, basically almost week in and week out and almost always far more than one regression client, you know, per week, past life and between lives. So past life and soul level material. Um, we're all evolving as we go. So yeah. that I think the answer to your question is, because we're at a place where, you know, it's kind of funny. And then I start hearing my guides talking to me in my head. Um, it, so we've progressed in so many ways in our human culture. We've progressed. I mean, just take IT alone. Um, the, the IT world is just, you know, moves so fast and progresses so fast. But we as a human species have to advance the universe has to advance and i know we'll get to the point of talking about souls that come to earth that don't typically incarnate on earth because that's another piece of this whole puzzle um but we as humanity are being pushed to advance and if we don't understand soul and the immortality and you know what some people might call the transmigration of the soul or the lifetime to lifetime um, evolutionary process, then we're really not, in my humble opinion, we're not re we're really not looking at core truths. 
Mm-hmm. Right. right. So I think it's time for it's time to understand core truths. I agree. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I'm such a, I'm so fascinated by all of our world religions and those threads of truth that you can find mm-hmm. in all traditions. And to your point, you know, we start to see a core truth there that can emerge, especially as we add in the type of research that you and so many other, um, you know, experts in this field are doing that, you know, paint a very different picture of our reality and, and one that to your point, we have, we almost have to embrace to be able to evolve to the next level of our, our civilization, of our society. And maybe that is a good transition point to talk about what we know about souls who have had lives on other planets, you know, because Sinead and I both have accessed memories of our soul's journey being more than just incarnating here on earth. And, you know, for us, that was just a hugely, you know, expansive part of our awakening to understand our multidimensional realities. So, so tell us what you've learned about that and, and how, how you started to access some of that information about journeys on other planets. Well, you know, that, that's where, Jenna, that I, I have no doubt um, that, that we all have guides and that our higher self is, um, that resides in the, in the higher realm, that soul energy we don't bring into our body, um, that we're, we're tied with a strong cord from, you know, that slice of incarnate soul that causes us to be alive is, is directly connected to the remain, the remainder of our soul. Well, so, so just try to put this again in a nutshell. Um, I can remember, and, and I think you all know that, um, I, early on, I studied, um, studied with a number of people, but I studied, um, with Dr. Michael Newton, um, who I would just kind of call the grandfather of between lives regression. And I can remember learning regression, learning between lives regression with Michael. Um, and he would say just kind of almost just like a little, like a little small morsel over here. He would say, now class, as you guide past lives, you may come across a client who has a life that's not on earth. Hmm. And I heard that and okay, fine. So when I started guiding between lives regression for probably somewhere in the range of six to eight years of regularly guiding between lives regression, I, I had few clients who went to past lives um, that were uh, not on earth. And then suddenly it was almost like, you know, somebody pulled their finger out of the dike. And um, all of a sudden in my very uh, active regression practice, I started having about 50% of my clients. Oh, wow. Be, yeah. Be souls. That, it, it was a wow to me too back then. Um, it was like, as as a you know maybe a year or two went by and then I was retrospectively thinking about my clients and I was saying to myself huh um, you know about fifty percent of my clients um, are souls that are not and, and and I'll explain this in a bit more detail in a minute but souls that are not designed necessarily to have the bulk of their lives on earth. Then I asked my guides and, and it took me a while to learn how to talk to my guides. Um, but then I said to my guides, so what's the point? Why are you, I mean, 
there's there there are others guiding the kind of regression that I guide, and there are lots of people on the planet. So 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 spiritual guides, you know, Linda's spiritual guides. For what reason are you filling my practice with almost half being in my term as interplanetary soul? Um, and they said two reasons. One is more interplanetary souls, and I'll define that just to make sure people understand what that means, but two reasons, Linda. One, um, more interplanetary souls are going to be coming to Earth because mm -hmm. Earth needs their wisdom. And two, we need regression therapists who understand interplanetary souls in order to support them because interplanetary souls are different and have different gifts and challenges yeah. often than souls that are designed primarily to incarnate on earth. So I that's what happens. As you said, all of that, my guides are saying yes. <laughs> <laughs> and actually speaking of guides, I kind of want to uh, touch on that because you were mentioning a couple of minutes ago, oh, my guides are coming in. They're talking to me. So I love that they're here and part of our conversation as our guides are too, but yeah. yours, yours are jumping in in a ways that our, ours are not doing presently. So I'm kind of curious about that. How do they, do they just come in any old time? Do you, how, what is that experience like when you hear them you know um how did you meet them tell us the story of, of what your relationship is like with your guides i would love yeah. to hear that. <laughs> and i love how you say do they just come in any old time so do they just come in whether we want them to come in or not yeah. um yeah um okay so let me just say probably everyone knows this or maybe they don't i don't know we all have spiritual guides we as a soul are never left you might say rudderless um, without any support and guidance. And that I have uncovered in 28, 29 years of guiding regression. Um, and that, you know, so, so listeners need to know when I say what I know, it's just simply I've heard it over and over and over through regression. Mm -hmm. um, it took and experience me. it yourself, like the lived experience you have yeah. yourself of living that as well, right? I mean, that's nothing is more validating, I think, than having the lived experience as well as learning, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, so true because lived experience means, you know, if someone said to you, um, uh, do you know what, just pick any old food, do you, you know, do you know what shrimp tastes like? And, and someone says, well, no, I've ever eaten it, but, but someone has explained it to me. Mm. You, you can't, lived experience is completely different. It, you know, to eat it and taste it is, you're not gonna get the sense of that unless you, unless you do. Well, here's where I, I, I feel inclined to bring my husband in again to this picture. And this is partly my journey, but this may be other people's journey who are listening. So, you know, remember everybody that until my husband and I were in our middle forties, we didn't talk about anything spiritual, um, even though my husband had these past life memories that he forgot about. So, um, it, my husband was a great help because once I started guiding regression, he allowed, he's very intuitive. He's 
far more intuitive than I am, even though I want to say to everybody, we're all intuitive. Mm -hmm. So, you know, please don't, you know, pull up a name in your head, everyone, you know, the the most well-known, highly respected medium or channel that you know, and say, well, so-and-so, I'm leaving names out, but so-and-so is is intuitive because, you know, he or she is a well-known channel or medium, but I'm not. Not true. Um, we all have the ability to channel our own soul, soul energy and our own guide. So anyway, my husband opened up to more and more allowing himself to tap into this intuition that had always been there. And he would connect with a guide of, of his, which was easy for him to do. And he would say this guide told him, my husband's guide, told him to call the guide teacher. So uh, we, my husband actually is a channel. And so he began to channel his own guide and that guide helped both of us. But that helped me open up. And, and I do think that regression is another way that helped me open up to if my husband can tap into his guides, um, download input, then I can too. Mm-hmm. The, but just quick comment, because I help and I teach people to access their guide. A lot of people make the mistake of thinking that if they don't, you know, if they can't close their eyes and get a, a, a mental image of something intuitive, that they're not really accessing intuition. <clears throat> Excuse me, but the truth is that, that that's not true. Mm-hmm. Some of us get pictures, some of us get emotions that are coming from our guide. Some of us get body sensation, like the twitching of your right eye, which is a signal that your guide is trying to uh, make their presence known. And then a lot of us, and this is me, it's why I'm sharing this. I'm a fairly cognitive person. I'm a fairly cerebral kind of person. Therefore, my guides access me in my head through conversation. Mm-hmm. And I just sense that they're talking to me. It took me a long time to learn to trust that. Yeah. So how, how did you, because I think Jenna and I can relate very much. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. how did you first meet them? And then what was that process like of figuring out, okay, this is my voice and this is their voice, being able to, to tell that difference? Because sometimes it's such a subtle difference at first it's so subtle it's like the thickness of a piece of paper you know Mm -hmm. you can't really you really have to concentrate to um, understand the difference and then gradually you get more familiar with it and you don't need to work so hard but when you first met them a how did that occur and then b how did you develop that communication with them well the others maybe three answers to that if i can try to hold all these thoughts in my brain part of it is Part of it's trust. Mm. And, you know, we, as the three of us and others know, we don't live in a world that teaches us to trust our intuition. Right. You know, you don't in, you know, fourth grade, get an hour a week from your teacher or a special teacher who comes into the classroom and says, okay, I'm going to teach you how to trust intuition. Now, it this did begin making a bit more sense to me when Bud talked to me back in 93. And because I knew him so well, I just 
knew it was his energy. But at the same time, about, I don't know, a week or so later, after I was sensing him communicating with me, um, I sought out um, a a person that lived locally um, that could channel and do mediumship work. And because my left brain was just screaming at me like, oh, how do you know this is real, blah, blah, blah. So I scheduled an appointment um, maybe a week or two after Bud had passed and had a session with this channel slash medium. Um, and she started telling me things that she had no way of knowing. Like Bud told you X, Y, Z. Well, oh. she didn't know what Bud had told me. Hmm. And she was telling me what he had said to me. So I needed, you know, I, I needed that trust. But a couple of other answers to that question is one, spontaneity. It's like, like, you know, a few moments ago when I said, oh, my guides are, it's like, I'm talking, I'm talking and <laughs> trying to sound coherent. And, but this, it, it's not exactly like I hear a voice. It's just like this cognitive input mm-hmm. that is just not there. And then it's there. Right. Okay. That's what it's like that for me. Sense. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. It it's just like, time to trust snap that. your fingers. Yeah. 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 The yeah. other, just one more quick thing. Um, this goes back a, a few years. I don't remember how long, but um, I noticed some years ago, six to eight or so years ago, that at times I would feel like someone walked up behind me and put their hand just like opened up flat palm, put their hand on my left shoulder blade. There was no one behind me. And I realized this happened once a day, once every other day or something like that. Now, by this point, obviously, I'm very much into regression and, you know, understand a lot of things about soul and intuition. But finally, as I question, now, why do I keep getting that sensation back here on my um, left shoulder blade? It dawned on me, probably, again, it was cognitive download. It was my guide trying to get my attention that my guide wanted to speak to me. So that's the example of uh, a body sensation that is is intuitive and is your guide. And once I realized it was my guide trying to get my attention periodically because I wasn't paying attention to my guide, it stopped happening because I was paying attention to my guide. Wow. Do you, do you ever just sit down and ask your guides questions? Like what's that, what's that like for you? What's your process or practice around that? it's interesting you're asking that just because lately I've been doing that a lot. Um, Yes, it's like there are periods of time, this probably happens for a lot of us that are um, spiritually oriented, intuitive, you know, or we might call ourselves, you know, woo-woo kind of people or whatever, although I don't love that term, woo-woo, but... um, uh, I, I, I did figured, an episode on that. Actually, we did a whole episode on yeah. woo and being weird and proud of it. And, you know, this is the new normal kind of thing. Anyway, I just wanted to <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, obviously I work with a lot of clients. I also teach virtual classes. And I know for myself, as well as a lot of spiritual people, that many of us have a certain amount of sleep disturbance. Um, we might have a string of nights where we sleep fine. And then all of a sudden a night or two, we are not sleeping well at all. Or sometimes spiritual people just are challenged in terms of, of sleep. 
Um, for me, it's periodic. And I finally learned that um, if, if I have a night or two of, you know, pretty can't either can't get to sleep or can't get back to sleep or whatever, something's going on energetically. Mm. And that those are times, this comes back to your question. Those are times when then I start working hard to talk to my guides and to say, so what is happening? What for what, you know, I was doing fine. I was sleeping fine. It's, you know, it's not like I have some major upheaval in my life necessarily. And so what I've learned is that as spiritual people, and you can equate, I truly believe what I'm about to say is true. If someone is overtly spiritual, that also means they're not a young soul. Because when we were young souls, we weren't into spirituality. As we evolve, we become more interested in deeper subjects. It's a little bit like Maslow's hierarchy. Mm -hmm. As we evolve as a soul, we operate from a higher level of that pyramid that is Maslow's hierarchy. So what I find just without, because we could do probably a whole 30 minute conversation on this and it's not the intent of what we're doing, but I find that if my sleep is disturbed, there are two or three reasons for that. It might be that I am tapped into a trauma on the planet, like there's an earthquake in South America, and um, it the the energetic challenge of that earthquake affects my sleep. So that sometimes it's a literal on the earth event. It also can be at times when our soul let me make sure I want to try to be clear about this. When our soul energy, our higher self is either taking on new responsibilities in the higher realm, which probably means new, new things are going to happen in our human. It's as above, so below. So sometimes my higher self is taken on a response, uh, an additional or an altered responsibility at the soul level. Mm. And so my soul is, oh, you might just say more demanded. Usually something new will happen in my current life as well. And that elevation or almost some amount, you might call it DNA shift is going to happen as we're stepping up into something new, either into something new as a human, into something new at the soul level. And often one happens and then the other happens and it can be either way, Mm -hmm. um, start in either place. That makes so much sense to me. And I really haven't thought about it on that level. I love that. And I'm going to remember that when I have those nights yeah. <laughs> or maybe I'm a little restless. Um, I don't want to offend our guides, but I want to go back to the interplanetary soul conversation and, and hear a little bit more about what you've learned about those souls. So you just talked about, you know, spiritual beings, spiritual people being, you know, maybe more evolved, advanced souls. And I would imagine that's true for the ones who you're finding are interplanetary souls. So what have you learned about these souls who are coming to earth and the types types of lives they've had mm. out there? Mm. 
Mm. Um, okay, great, great question and kind of a kind of a complex answer. Um, so what what I've learned is kind of start simple. It's like trying to make it clear and not too complicated. I have learned that when souls are conceived, when souls are created, a soul that is going to incarnate primarily on earth in order to evolve lifetime to lifetime to lifetime is what my term that I've been given um, is, is an earth-based soul. That just means that soul was created to primarily embody on earth. Then there's an interplanetary soul. And just so people don't get confused with that term, some people um, use the term ET soul, same thing. Some people use the term starseed, same thing. Um, I was just given that term interplanetary, but ET starseed, you know, and probably other related terms that people use means the same. Um, an interplanetary or what I call an IP soul, an interplanetary soul was created to primarily not embody on earth, to primarily embody somewhere other than earth. And if an interplanetary soul comes to earth, which is the only way I've learned about them because they've been my clients. If an IP soul comes to earth, they come for basically one reason. And that is because they come from an evolved culture um, in the higher realm. They come from a particular celestial setting where the culture is highly evolved, far more evolved than humanity. And they come, an IP soul comes to earth to aid the evolution of humanity. Now that's, that's not to say that the IP soul client doesn't have a life plan, doesn't have other intentions for their incarnation, but by and large, because they are rather advanced, we have more and more IP souls coming to earth because we need the perspective and the wisdom. So they're choosing, um, they're choosing to come. They're volunteering. Yes, it, yes, it's it's my understanding, Sinead, that um, a soul cannot, a, a soul is never forced, or a soul cannot be coerced to incarnate if they choose not to. So it's choice. Is choice something that is inherent? Is choice, I mean, the reason why I'm asking you this is doc, Dr. Michael Newton, I've read his books um, and I know he trained you and I've read one of your books so far. I admit just the one, but I will get to the other ones. Um, but there's this theory that, um, let me back up a little bit again. My personal experience and my personal understanding is that karma and choice and contract all come into play when it comes to our lifetimes. But there are some people that think that we choose our contract, so-called, you know, our lifetime and what we're going to do and the experiences we're going to have. And that karma maybe has nothing to do with it. But I don't really understand how it can't have something to do with it, considering that uh, we're eternal beings and we're going through so many lives and our actions have consequences. That's just how energy works, right? Energy and vibration. 
um, kind of like what you were saying a minute ago about someone picking up on an earthquake in South America, there is a web that is interconnectivity that, that surrounds and includes all of us. And so we can feel things from that far away. Mm. But when it comes to um, beings who are here on earth now, who have either chosen to be here or not chosen to be here, what do you think about what happens prior to them coming in? Do you think that it is a combination of contract and agreement that we then forget, of course, when we come into this lifetime and karma and choice? Is choice always there is really my question. I think the answer, the total answer is yes, that choice, choice to incarnate is always there. Okay. Um, Incarnation is always purposeful um, and not willy-nilly. Um, and an interplanetary soul, well, yeah, it, you know, it, it's complicated. Um, an interplanetary soul is still working on karma, right. um, but because they are so advanced, they may not have, they may be working on karma uh, you know, if we think about soul evolution on a 10-point scale, they may be working on karma that remains uh, in the latter stages of, um, uh, of evolving. Um, and so, you know, but that, that doesn't mean that they don't have karmic issues to work on. Now, all of our lives, it's my understanding, again, from years of regression, our lives always have a plan, a purposeful intention. Um, and sometimes clients will come for regression and they'll say, oh, I must be such a young soul because my mother died when I was 12, then my father was an alcoholic and he left, and then I had a serious health problem when I was 18 or, you know, so I must be a really young soul because I have so much uh, stress in my whole life. And I say to them, it could be the reverse. It could be that you are a highly evolved soul and you're not only cleaning up latter stages of your own evolution, but in part, because you are a rather experienced soul, you've come to be a teacher as much as you've come to clean up karma. Mm -hmm. Because That's you have a great deal of wisdom because yeah. you've been in you, you, you've gained, uh, you know, your, you know, if we just try to put it on, I always hate to use education as a way of uh, demonstrating it, but just, you know, um, if, if you're, if you're getting your master's degree, you're expected to, to have a certain amount of intelligence and a certain amount of um, uh, be a self-starter and, you know, be ready to dig into that. So if you're an advanced soul, then you've gained a fair amount of wherewithal of how to embody. But again, the more advanced we are, we also come in to serve as teachers. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we probably take on, we take on bigger challenges, right? If, if we're more advanced, right? We Correct. We kind of have to take on bigger challenges to continue to advance, it would seem. Is that yeah, what you've found? Yes, we, we take on, yes, I think that's totally right, Jenna. We take on bigger challenges. Um, and, and the other piece that I think is, is really important for us to talk about is what's, what else is unique about the IP soul? What, what else um, 
what are the unique qualities? And I always like to call them gifts and challenges. Um, and uh, the two of you, I'm sure, know this. A, a lot of IP souls have a very hard time or a challenging time being in body on earth because, because they may not have been in the earth body many times, so they're not used to this human container. They also are not used to a human way of life because our human may have, way of life may be so different than the means of communicating, the means of relationships, the, the skills that they bring with them from somewhere else may be elevated skills compared to a lot of humans. So, you know, we have autoimmune disorders, allergies, um, uh, energetic ADHD. There are a lot of IP souls that have a fair amount of physical, emotional, energetic challenges. Mm -hmm. And actually the, the, the taking on challenges part willingly, which of course, again, we forget when we come into life. And I think this is where you know, a lot of people have difficulty with the concept of everything happening for a reason, right? There's this sort of, yeah. you know, I'm even hesitant to say this right now, but I have this personal belief that um, in a way everything is perfect because we live in a dimension of duality and the duality is the wholeness of the dimension where we are. And that means the light and the dark together, right? But that's very difficult to say to someone who maybe has gone through a particularly horrific path in life and they may not, you know, I wouldn't want to say that to them because of course they may not be in a place to hear it. That might not be where they are. And who am I to make a statement about someone else's life when they've suffered that much? But it does make me think about an earlier conversation that Jenna and I had, we were talking about, um, I, I was living in a Buddhist temple for a while between the ages of 19 and 21. I gave away everything I owned and shaved off my hair and was going to become a Buddhist monastic. So I devoted myself to this lifestyle. And part of the, the um, philosophy was that suffering has a purpose, right? And Jenna was like, but that can't be, you know, suffering like that, that doesn't make sense. And I felt the same way many times, you know, why should we have to quote unquote, have to suffer in order to progress? But of course, we make those agreements before we come into the life. We make these agreements, you know, in our in our in-between lives to go through this suffering for the purpose of learning. And we may or may not learn it, right? That's where the choice comes in and where our mindset is at to be able to make those choices. So I want to kind of bring it back to choice again, because something that, you know, part, a big part of the reason that Jenna and I created this podcast is because we really want to empower people. We want people mm -hmm. to feel their own power. We want to feel our own power and, you know, recognizing that we are the creators of our own reality. We are manifestors and creators far powerful than we know that we are far powerful than, you know, far more powerful than we're told that we are. We, we don't receive this message in our mainstream culture mm -hmm. and society, mm -hmm. but yet it is true, right? So, yeah. It's very important to us to communicate that message of empowerment and of choice and of the fact that we are not victims. We have all agreed to be here and we can always make choices no matter what situation we're in. We can always make some kind of choice, large or small, that either leads us a little bit forward or a little bit backwards. But what I'd like to ask you about is when it comes to choice and when it comes to personal empowerment, um, how can you explain that there are some beings who in their in-between life, they make a contract to come in and 
have a hard time. I mean, that's pretty much everybody. We all, humaning is very difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, we all have our challenges, but let's say somebody who comes in to have a bit more of a difficult life, you know, maybe they experience really difficult relationships, abuse, uh, poverty, that kind of thing, but they still have agreed to go through that. And, and so there was the choice that existed before they come into this body in this life. And then there are the choices that we can make while we're in this body in this life, mm -hmm. having forgotten our agreement. So how does that process of choice occur? Because it seems to me like there's always a crossroads, you know, even though we've made this agreement, we might not fulfill it. Is that the case that we make, we make an agreement, but within it's still kind of up to us in that lifetime to stick to the agreement and to not fall off the path. Is that the case? Or would you say that we make an agreement and then it is fulfilled no matter what we do, if we fall backwards, if we make bad choices, do you know what I'm oh, saying? That's an easy one to answer. Right. The only way we satisfy the agreement is through our own actions and behavior. It isn't solved. I think that's, it's sort of one of my pet peeves <laughs> and so I'm trying to I want to say this appropriately mm. that love that love and compassion are essential love and compassion in life are an essential foundation but they're not sufficient so I say that by way of saying when we, and you know, I, I know this to be true only because I've done so much regression work with clients that when we plan um, a life contract, a pre-birth life contract, and let me just make sure people know, we also can add on additional pieces during a lifetime. But when we agree to work on X karma or um, uh, come into, meet a soul that we've had challenges with in past lives and have the opportunity to clean up, if you will, the, the past life uh, issues, karma, baggage, whatever you want to call that. Unless we actively take charge of what we agreed to and our behavior exhibits that, we haven't satisfied our life contract. So we can and essentially then, keep making the same agreement before we come in for a few lifetimes. Oh, yes. In fact, I mean, you know, we may have a significant karmic issue that needs to be cleaned up. We um, had a past life where um, if someone wasn't the same skin color or belief structure as ours, we said hurtful things to them, or we somehow exhibited our, you know, negative attitude toward their, how they're different from us. Mm -hmm. um, it might take 10 lives to clean that up, or it might take one life to clean that up. That's our own choice, but no one cleans it up but us. I mean, that is the whole it's the foundation that, I mean, there are other teachers besides Michael Newton that came to understand this, that's been further substantiated, at least in, in my regression work over and over and over. But we, you know, we are in charge of our own destiny. That no one, no one fixes that for us or 
blocks it for us if we're willing to stay on the journey. Does that mean we always make the most perfect decision every time we come upon a karmic issue? Of course not. Our, our guides realize we live in human bodies, at least on this planet. Yeah. Um, and so for the most part, um, our guides give us another opportunity and another opportunity and another opportunity. Um, and unless, and I get the question asked of me a lot, Linda, what about despots? What about authoritative leaders such as Hitler or Saddam Hussein or current leader um, of the country of Russia? Um, those souls will, at the end of their incarnation, those souls will absolutely come upon a panel of elders and they will have to answer for their behavior. And there are times if it's, you know, Hitler's always a classic example that people ask me about. If it's a, a Hitler type person, a true, a true despot who committed genocide, then often that soul is either kept from incarnating for a period of time, um, held at a lower, I mean, there. I do not believe there's any such actual thing as hell because it's never shown up in 28 to 29 years of regression. But that soul must um, be accountable mm -hmm. for their behavior. I love that you use the word accountable because I've always thought of the karmic process as this accountability system for mm -hmm. the universe, yeah. right? Yeah. That, to your point, we will face what we have done and, and then have to account for that and move through additional lives to, to correct that, to rectify. Yeah. Totally. What has happened. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not easy to do. I mean, any of us who want to face our, our shadows, our, you know, our ego, our fears, all our flaws, um, it's not something again that we're taught to do that we're we're supported in doing you know in our, in our mainstream culture and society as a blanket statement of course there are exceptions but uh, yeah the responsibility taking resp personal responsibility is such an incredibly important part of it and you wouldn't think that necessarily you know you don't hear responsibility and spirituality necessarily used in the same sentence very often but it is crucial mm -hmm. you know Linda yeah go ahead I, yeah I'm I'm curious from your standpoint, you know, as people are watching this and hearing about, you know, the karmic process and, you know, maybe getting curious about their karma and, you know, what, what they have to maybe clean up, you know, for themselves. Mm -hmm. How would you guide someone to start approaching that? You know, what would, what would be step one? Would it be doing a past life regression or would that come maybe a little later in in understanding you know issues in the current life you know how, how would you guide someone on that yeah that's a great that's a great question um if if the person that comes to me and asks the question that you just verbalized jenna um if they're sufficiently, if they understand just the bare basics of soul incarnation and um, soul evolution, um, 
then I would suggest, yes, they start with the past life regression. And then that usually leads to the longer between lives mm -hmm. regression. But if they're, if they're not yet um, in a place of understanding soul, just to put it that way, um, then that might be the person who, you know, needs some conventional psychotherapy before they step into something, you know, that's spiritual. Um, mm, right. So I think it just varies with the person, but, you know, people, I, I, I often explain to people how they can um, discover their past lives in their current life. Yeah. And, and even without regression, how they can begin to get a sense of um, what happened in the past that's showing up in the present. And our past lives absolutely show up in our present. They, they show up with people in our life. Um, how we decorate our homes, right? How we decorate our homes or how we dress ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Yes. You know, eras of time we want to study, parts of the world where we want to travel, um, eras of time of a, a famous figure in history. That doesn't necessarily mean we were that famous figure, but we probably lived during that era of time. There are lots of ways um, to discover past lives by examining our current life. Right. I love that. That's I love that too. Yeah. Yeah. It's all interconnected, right? Yeah. We are, we are not, we are just so used to thinking of things as being so separate, but really it's all sort of a big pancake mix of everything at the same time. Um, we are such holistic beings and we are multidimensional. We just have no idea. So I, I've got a question for you that's kind of relating to that, that sensation of, you know, being a multidimensional being, um, because I think Jenna and I both have a little bit of that sense, and I'm assuming you too, you do too. You know, the more we progress on this path, our reality expands, our sense of self expands, our knowledge and awareness expands, and these mm. other things start to come in. So my question for you is, you know, we've talked a lot about your clients and the work that you do and um, what you've learned, but I'm curious for you as an individual person in just your personal life, um, forget even for a moment that you're a therapist, that you're a regression therapist, how has your own beingness and your own life changed as a result of coming onto this path and all the things that you've learned? Who are you now as a result of this? Boy, I mean, it, it, it has changed enormously. It would be interesting to have one of my, I have two very adult children, one in, in her forties, later forties, and one in, in his early fifties. Um, and, but they knew me, um, they were college age by the time I and their father as well, my husband fell into this kind of work. So, you know, they, they know us now and what we do, but in the beginning it was quite a surprise because they weren't raised with this mentality. Um, my whole view of life is different. Um, I, I believe that Almost everything is purposeful. Um, someone I meet, um, a, a request I get. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I'll, 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 I think I'll, I'll, here's an example. Maybe this will round out the whole picture. Um, I have a friend um, I have known this friend since I was about 13 years old, a, a female friend. 
and we've been dear friends through the years, but, you know, long periods of time would go by um, when we had maybe we exchanged a holiday card at the end of the year, you know, and then there'd be a period of years where we'd have more contact. And over the last two or three years, we have had a great deal of contact, partly because this dear friend's um, husband passed and um, we were in each other's weddings, blah, 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 blah. Um, my dear friend is deeply, deeply, traditionally Christian. Okay. I am not deeply, deeply. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just... I, I, I was raised actually in a Jewish family. I am not a heavy ritualistic Jewish person, but I still um, live my life to some extent um, with that orientation that I was raised with. But my friend is has a very different perspective of life. She knows a little bit about what I do um, and isn't she's not completely a believer. Okay. in soul evolution and past lives, but we are the dearest of friends. Mm -hmm. And um, what I realized in the last three years, as I've spent a lot more time with this friend, is that it's purposeful for us to be close, mm -hmm. not because she's going to ask me anything like you guys are asking me and not that I see the world quite the way she sees it from her traditional Christian perspective but we've shared many lives with each other and we've shared many lives where we were not to some extent in different you know operating from different belief structures she is probably one of the most caring, gracious, mm. kind people that I know. And I would never consider ending my friendship with her because I know that there's a plan and a purpose for us to be close at this point in our lives. And um, so because of my perspective about soul, past lives, shared lives, which again, I know I've had many lives with her, it is purposeful mm -hmm. to be close with her. And we just stay away from, I don't um, make uh, critical statements to her about her beliefs. She doesn't judge me for what I do. In fact, on occasion, she'll stick her toe in the water and she'll say, now, you've talked a little bit about, Linda, that you've guided clients in past lives and your clients went to the time of Jesus. Mm. What's that like? And of mm. course, my ears perk up. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, why is she asking me that? <laughs> well, I think it's partly because, I mean, her guides know what's real and what's not. Yeah. Mm. And I don't bring that up unless she brings it up. But my view of life is so far beyond just this life that it causes me to know I we are to be close friends. I, so yeah. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's what came to my mind. It I think that's does. such a beautiful perspective. You know, and I think so many people on a spiritual path 
you know, sometimes start to struggle, you know, with others in their lives who are not also on that path. And I think that's just such a beautiful message to kind of, you know, end on, you know, for the audience that, you know, you can see that, that beauty in that relationship and the beauty in how she operates as a human, you know, in her life. And you don't have to share the same belief system to, to live in that, that harmonious way together and to have a beautiful mm -hmm. relationship. I think that's, that's such an evolved and healthy and beautiful perspective that I think we all should have. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not having disagreements is not the point. And, you know, it just encourages our attitude of separateness, right? If we have a disagreement, we're automatically creating separateness between each other. Mm. And it's just not the point. The things that we have in common are the point. And it sounds like your friend has a really wonderful, compassionate, heart centered vibration, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. what we all want to be around. So it doesn't really matter what the beliefs are, it's the vibration, the energy, and the connection that's so important. And also, Linda, bringing it back to you and, you know, how all of this has affected you as a person, as an individual in your own life. What I hear you saying in that conversation, too, is uh, reminds me of something you said earlier about a little seed or a little plant poking its way up through the soil. And that's a metaphor that I love using. I'm a major plant person, nature person. So, you know, that's big for me. But I see the gardening metaphor as incredibly powerful. And so mm. you are kind of a gardener planting seed <laughs> right, mm. in the energy fields of other people around you, whether they know it or not, simply by mm. having you in their life, they are getting a tiny little crack or sliver into that knowledge, that understanding that you carry that has a bit more of an expansive, you know, eternal perspective about life. So I want to thank you for being that gardener and for planting those seeds because your role and your knowledge and everything that you're putting out to the world is so incredibly valuable. And, you know, Jenna and I just really love your material, your approach and um, the fact that you're here with us today is a gift. And so thank you so much for being with us to share your experiences and your knowledge and your wisdom, because I'm sure that so many people hearing this are going to be inspired. Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you for inviting me. It's always a pleasure to do this kind of thing. It's great meeting the two of you. And um, thank you for the opportunity to get to talk about, you know, what really resonates for me. Oh, oh thank you. We love these conversations. You know, we we could do this all day, which is yeah. why we do this. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's been so great, and 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 thank you for you know your your perspective on so so many of these topics that I think is is just a little more expanded, you know, than some you know other folks in the field. And I just love that you're a leader in this field, and um, and that that you bring such a such an expanded holistic perspective on the topic and uh, I know you've you've written a few books and you are you know actively doing sessions with clients so how can people find you if they're interested in working with you people can find me on my on my website which is raven like the bird ravenheartcenter.com they can find what I'm doing um, on my website. At this point, I used to travel pre-COVID. I traveled about 50% of the time in the US and abroad to guide regression. I'm doing all my regression work just on like this on right. Zoom and it's working very, very well. So ravenheartcenter.com. Great, and where can people buy your books? Um, my books are on Amazon and um, the, the first book is, uh, you can find used copies. 
if you're looking for the first book, Bringing Your Soul to Light in hard copy, we still have some hard copies as well because it's been out quite a long time. Um, but so the Amazon, Kindle, and hard copy or ravenheartcenter.com. Okay. Wonderful, wonderful. And Linda, are you going to be doing any talks or anything like that that's coming up? We just want to make sure our audience knows everything that you're doing. So your website, your books, is there anything coming up for you that you'd like to mention? I, I, I'm in an ongoing way. I am almost always in the midst of teaching a virtual course um, with different topics. So um, usually those are four-month courses and um, all the classes are recorded. So I'm one month into a four-month course that's on my website. People can catch up if they want to join by uh, going to the recordings. I, um, I think it's next week. For people who know um, who George Nuri is, um, George Nuri is the host of Coast to Coast, <clears throat> excuse me, or Seat C2C, as people call it, Coast to Coast AM. Um, I'm going to be with George next week live, and it's recorded. Uh, I believe it's Thursday night, May the 5th. Okay. Um, and so people can listen to that. Right. And um, I'm just doing a lot of interviews. I do my own podcasts as well. So yeah. all that it, it can be found on my website. Wonderful, wonderful. We'll definitely include uh, that information in the show notes that people have an easy time finding you. And once again, Linda, thank you so much for being just an inspiring presence in the world. And, you know, what you are doing is, is so incredibly important. We're at such an incredible forefront, you know, a progressive time for humanity and human evolution right now. And you are one of those teachers that we need. So much, much, much appreciation for your presence in the world and for being with us here today on our little podcast that is growing, but still somewhat new. So, you know, given your presence, we're really grateful for you being here. Thank you. Yeah, My thank pleasure. You so, so much. And for everyone out there listening and watching, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe if you're on YouTube and leave a comment. Let us know what resonated for you. And we'll, we'll see you next time. We will see you next time. Bye for Bye. now. Bye.